So I've been meaning to write this down for some time, but I haven't had the time nor clear mind to do it. I had an experience on Salvia that was, is, and remains incomparable to anything I have ever experienced in my life, and it's still affecting me in a very big and negative way. I was pretty new to smoking cannabis. I'd done it a couple times in high school, but it's only been in the past couple months that I smoked it regularly. And by regularly, I mean approximately three times a week. At first, it was a sort of time-stretched feeling that I liked, and then it became a more introspective, more self-examining experience, and I usually didn't like what I saw. Anyways, fast forward a couple more weeks, and I decided I wanted to try acid for the first time. I took two hits and had a great trip. Visuals weren't too crazy, but it was a mindfuck for sure. Words started to lose their meanings, and musical phrases seemed just as valid a form of communication as a verbal phrase. Anyways, my buddy tells me he's got salvia. I had heard of it, and at this point I was really interested in trying any drug I could get my hands on. Essentially, my mindset was this. Hey, I've done LSD. I could do any drug. The only drug I knew that would be stronger than acid was DMT. I knew all drugs created different reactions in different people, but I honestly didn't expect much from salvia because, one, it was legal. Two, everyone I knew who took it told me they thought it was like weed. Harmless enough, right? As I get to my friend's place, he tells me that he had a crazy dreamlike trip where he was hang gliding over Kansas or something the night before, and it scared him so he didn't want to repeat. Hang gliding? Shit, I'll hang glide. So he gives me the pipe, fills it with salvia, lights it for me, and as I inhale, he tells me to breathe it in deep and hold. I do as I'm told and hold the smoke in for at least 15 to 20 seconds. Zeppelin's no quarters in the background. I'm ready to have a cool trip. Now let me interrupt for a second. I didn't know what extract it was. It really didn't matter in my mind. I guess what most people smoke is about 5 times, 10 times, or 20 times. According to my friend who got it from another friend, this was 90 times. I know there's some debate about extract levels and potency, but this is all I know about the salvia I personally smoked. Needless to say, I had no clue I was in store for a level 5 trip into another fucking dimension. Then, out of nowhere, the second I exhaled, I felt like someone had punched me in the face. The air left my lungs and I was in the most vulnerable state in my entire life. For some reason, the dark texture of the salvia reminded me of poison, and suddenly I felt like I had just smoked lead or something. Almost immediately, extremely venomous-looking kaleidoscope patterns filled most of my vision. The only thing I could make out was my fucking phone on the table. I struggled to breathe and I could hardly speak, so all I could muster was, Get that out of here, as I pointed to the phone, its LED screen shining through the fractal shapes. I think at that point I didn't even know what a phone was, but for some reason it needed to go. My friend took it and put it in the back room. When he returned, I was a soulless shell. I felt the most intense feeling of deja vu as all sense of self died. I had been here before, now why the fuck would I ever return? The idea of taking this drug recreationally seemed as naive, foolish, and immature as anything you could ever imagine. It was like hell, honestly, in the sense that you could have never imagined something so horrifying and evil that it really is ineffable. It's purely impossible to explain, but you're there, and you're definitely experiencing it. 
there is nothing in this dimension to relate it to. Quite literally, there are no words to explain what I felt other than complete and utter despair and fear. Reality just broke apart and I was left in this fractal void. I couldn't speak, I couldn't feel any part of my body, ideas broke down to the point where I couldn't think for myself. The images I was seeing were more intense than I can even register, so much so that the entire experience was sort of like sensory overload overdriven to the max. I guess my eyes were open and I was just sitting there with a stupid look on my face, but I was in a completely different dimension. I can remember a couple parts of this extremely confusing and disorienting experience, but like I said earlier, it's hard to put into words. My friend asked me something like, you trippin? But it just kept skipping, like, you, you, trip, 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 trippy, tripping? Suddenly, the words lost their meanings and it became really sloppy sounding. The visual skipped with it and it was like everything in the room started to pull apart and I started to see layers within everything. It was kind of like the cover of Pink Floyd's Umaguma, but everything was losing its detail and gaining new detail. The visuals were kind of like if you could imagine flying through an image or maybe traveling through two mirrors facing each other and just having the pattern of what you're seeing fall into itself and then reform and repeat. Now, this sounds cool and all, but at this point I had no clue I was under any kind of drug. I didn't know who I was or where I was, I just had this feeling, an extremely overwhelming feeling, that I had caused this disaster. I somehow did something extremely bad that caused the universe to collapse on itself. This was an extremely personal experience and I felt no connection to any other life forms at all, I was a prisoner in my own mind. I built reality and now I accidentally did something that just brought everything crashing down. It was a devastating solipsist experience. I remember the feeling that within the fractal was a choir of cartoon-esque objects created in the kaleidoscope pattern that were singing to me about the trip, ushering me in. I remember seeing twisted pictures of my friend's face, but nothing was disjunct or cut up like a film. It was all a fluid evolution from one thing to another, but it was so complex and overwhelming that my mind could not comprehend what I was seeing. Everything was alien, nothing was real or even tangible. I could see it clearly and yet it somehow was so intense, so bizarre, that it eluded my mind's ability to process it all. Oh, and all the while I was listening to Zeppelin's The Ocean, the constant beat and Robert Plant's aha uh -huh playing in the background, but I didn't even remember it until weeks later under weed listening to the same record. I felt gravity's pull, but it was pulling me sideways. I felt an extremely strong tug downward and this intensified as the trip became more and more intense. Suddenly, I felt like I couldn't grasp what I was seeing anymore. Not that I could before, but before I felt like I was a slave to the hallucinations. I couldn't think for myself. I couldn't reassure myself that I was on a drug. My mind was spent, completely. I felt like a vegetable who couldn't even grasp what he was seeing. Now, my mind was trying to grasp it, but it couldn't. I felt my mind desperately trying to grab at ideas, but it couldn't quite reach. This inability to grasp the trip, coupled with unbearable pins and needles and an extreme downward pull, started to create some sensation of self, or a body, but I felt like it was stretched out over the entire field of my vision. I had become the two-dimensional image of this warped and constantly moving alternate dimension. Suddenly it began to fall apart and I felt like I was free-falling through this picture, while I was the picture. As my field of vision was warped and reassembling and being pulled apart, I felt my own body falling apart. 
Now, while this was all happening, I suppose I got up, started stumbling across the room, knocked a bunch of shit over, and then fell back and almost broke my friend's table. Needless to say, all the glass pieces were knocked on the floor, and I was stumbling around like some kind of village drunk in some old Irish novel. Suddenly, as I was fighting for my life, trying to climb out of the layers of reality that were falling around me, I saw my friend's girlfriend's face trying to hold me. Apparently, they were trying to subdue me for some time, but being that I was racing for my life in another dimension, falling to my death through millions of layers of reality, it was a little hard to get through to me. But the second I saw her face, I suddenly realized that I was a human, that I had taken a drug, even that I was a sentient being. All of that went out the window with just a little bit of some good old salvia. My only instinct was to attempt to climb out of this racing, descending, swirling fractal picture. I was drenched in sweat to the point where my clothes were dripping, my heart was racing at a thousand beats per minute, and I could hardly speak as my friends placed me in a chair, asking me what I saw. I told them to give me a minute to regain my composure. Much of the room was knocked over, but I was surprised the whole room wasn't completely destroyed because I felt like I must have been clawing away at reality, desperately trying to escape from my personal hell. The only way I can honestly describe how I felt falling was down and to the right. The three-dimensional world fell apart and I could only perceive things in a two-dimensional light. Jesus Christ, my entire perception of reality was annihilated under the drug. The term ego death doesn't even begin to describe what I felt, but there was nothing to be gained from where I was. It was pure insanity to the nth degree. I'd gone in expecting some kind of spiritual experience or something meaningful that I could come away with, but there was none of that in Salvia land. This was pure unfiltered madness to a degree I wouldn't wish on anyone. This is where I started having problems. Right when I came back from Salvia land, my friends let me lie down and watch a movie with them. I was shaking so hard, I just wanted to lay down and relax. They encouraged me to smoke a bowl. I felt like I was midway through an acid trip and the weed just made it stronger. As we watched the film, I felt like the people on screen were really strange looking and as we ate some food, I felt myself falling back into the Salvia. Not in the sense that I saw visuals, but my mind was falling back into that strange place and I could see in my mind's eye exactly what I was hours earlier. The next couple times I smoked weed were similar, intense flashbacks to salvia to the point where it truly disturbed me. Then one day, another friend smoked me out with some hash he smokes daily. Suddenly, I had acid-like thoughts and I had to backtrack just to realize I was in the room with him. Time to go, I thought, and went back to my car, but it was too strong to drive. I could barely talk thanks to the cotton mouth. I tried calling a friend but could barely communicate. Since then, I've been getting stronger and stronger reactions to weed. When I first started smoking after salvia, first couple weeks, I would feel the salvia sensation, extreme pins and needles, and I would feel like I'm being pulled downward. I could play with my depth perception, but sometimes if I stared at something too long, I got the sensation that there was no depth perception, that I was looking at a two-dimensional image that covered my entire field of vision, and then I could see little parts of that image moving and falling apart, like a much less intense version of what went down in Salvia Land. People's faces also seem to be hovering over their face. When I'm stoned around my friend who is my salvia trip sitter, if I look at him directly in the face, the rest of the room or my perception of everything in my peripheral creates this kind of tunnel effect that leads straight to his face. Another thing I think I remember feeling under salvia, but I'm not quite sure I remember it. Pictures start to dance just like a low-level acid trip. 
Calling it strange is more than a colossal understatement. Lita's been taking me to a weird twisted version of the normal world, something it never did before. When I'm sober, floaters and white specks really dominate my vision. It gets kind of distracting when I look up at the sky. The reason I'm putting this out there is because the day before yesterday was the worst. I felt anxiety and fear unlike anything I've ever felt. I started to question my own reality. The way objects look on weed began to look extremely disturbing. People started to look disturbingly alien, as if it was the first time I'd ever laid eyes on a human before. I felt as if I was realizing something humans aren't supposed to realize. I was beginning to see things working behind the scenes, and it was frightening as hell. It's kind of like that splinter in your mind that reality isn't what you've always thought it to be, and now that you know the truth, it will haunt you forever. I have trouble even relating to my memories, my past, my identity, who I thought I was, and who I wanted to be. For the first time in my life, I feel afraid. Of what? I have no idea. But it's this feeling, it's deep within me. I think I might have to stop all drugs for good if I ever want to feel normal again. I have never felt so alien, I never knew anyone could feel so alien and alone. I never felt much emotion throughout my life, never was afraid of much, never cried over anything, never was very emotionally attached to anybody or anything. But now, I'm scared of something I can't even put into words. And I've broken down a couple times trying to explain it to people. My biggest fear now is that when I'm not feeling this intense and overwhelming panic, I can't even relate to it in the slightest bit, and all that's on my mind is, I feel fine. Hey, I'm ready to do some more drugs. One thing that I have found with taking psychedelic mushrooms is that they are not for me. They are not to entertain me, to make me feel good, or for the superficial purpose of getting fucked up. They are sacred teachers, and through every trip they must be respected because they give lessons, not good times. However, I have also found through my experiences that great feelings of love and happiness can come forth. On the contrary, experiences of absolute fear, insanity, and death have also occurred. There is a duality that mushrooms present, whether it be good or bad. There has been one trip so far within my life that has changed me and that has changed all of those who were there, forever. It was a yearly camping trip that I engaged in with some of my closest friends. This was the fourth year we had gone and each year the trip had escalated. By this, I mean each year the crazier the experiences became. Not a bad crazy, just a memorable crazy. Each year, many different substances are brought, and every year everyone has come out okay, with their mental and physical health intact. This year was different. The trip happened during our last night of camping. It was Sunday, and it had been raining all day. In the late afternoon, the weather cleared, and the sun decided to finally come out. By the time the third day came, no one had the ability to check the time, all phones were dead, no one had a watch, etc. We were isolated, and time didn't matter to us anymore. I would guess it was around late afternoon when the majority of us decided to eat penis envy. Some had also decided to eat psychedelic truffles. I stuck with the penis envy because I was curious and had never taken that strain before. The beginning of the trip was extremely beautiful. The 12 of us were all sitting around the campfire. The sun had just begun to set. This created an extremely warm and happy atmosphere. 
My boyfriend was at the right of me and a friend at my left. There were only two people in the group who decided to take an eighth. Everyone else took half. The penis envy that we had was twice as potent than the norm. This is why most took half. There were a few people in the group that only ate the smallest amount of caps and in under an hour, everyone had blasted off. At first, the two people tripping the strongest were me and my friend, who also took a full eighth. Once I had started tripping, I could not speak, only smile. I listened to the conversations and laughter that was happening around the fire. With my eyes closed, I could see everything. I could see everyone around the fire straight in front of me even though my eyes were shut. Then my vision would fade between the image of the campfire and everyone talking into a warm peach and yellow hue with white-lined fractals. I could hear almost like a woman singing in the far reaches of the back of my mind, very soft like a mother's voice. Such a strong wave of absolute love and awareness came over me, like the kind of love and happiness I had not experienced since I was a young child. So genuine, unspoiled, and innocent. The best way I can describe the energy that came to me was that of a maternal, protective, and loving being. It was the mushroom speaking, teaching me, and showing me the absolute beauty and love that is found between everything living. Tears and snot started to drain out of my face. It was the hardest I have ever cried, yet my smile has never been bigger. Crying, smiling, and laughing, I felt like I had just been reborn. It was the hardest I have ever tripped in my life. The body high was insane. It was like being dead and seeing the light, seeing everything, encased within an absolute and divine love. This was real. What I was experiencing was more real than any other moment in my life that I had ever known. It was more clear than any sober moment. I never wanted to leave. I never wanted it to stop. Lucky for me, I was experiencing this in the moment because within the group, there was one individual who had found himself in a very, very dark place. I will call him X. This individual has struggled with many hardships within the past year. There were two members of the group that were a couple. The girl was a previous partner to X, but it had happened years ago and everyone was friendly and had moved on. One thing that I would like to mention, shortly after my experience around the campfire, I needed to use the restroom. It took all of my will to get out of that chair. As I got up and walked away to find a place to pee, walking was extremely fluid, like I was floating. There was a disconnect between me and my physical body. I couldn't feel it, but I can see my arms and legs moving. My body was a part of everything, blending into all the objects around me. The background of my limbs became the same thing. As I was walking, I was looking down at my feet and at the stones and dirt that I was walking over. When I was a good distance away from the camp, I finally looked up. All around me, in the brush, on the moss beds, on the fallen trees, there were people. At least I thought they were people. I sat behind a boulder by myself and intently looked to my left. There was a young guy, about my age, just huddled over next to me. I couldn't see his face. He was just there, frozen, not moving or breathing. I remember him so clearly, tan shorts, a green shirt, reddish brown short hair, and blue tennis shoes, just huddled over. This did not frighten me, I knew that this boy was not really there, none of these people were, at least not in the physical plane of existence. All these people were huddled like this boy, all facing different directions. I could see no faces, everyone just sat there with their heads buried in their arms all around the forest. I knew I was seeing spirits. It felt like I had died and entered somewhere far away. I was not scared. All I could feel was intense love for all of these people. Once I couldn't see them anymore, I went back to the fire. Back to X. 
As I returned, only four of us remained at the fire. The others were in their tents. It was me, my boyfriend, the girl I said used to be with X, and X. All four of us were tripping extremely hard at this point. This is where things took a dark turn. As I was experiencing such bliss, there was a member of the group who had been taken over by extreme fear and darkness, and it began to project upon everyone. X looked to the girl and asked if her and two other male members of the group would be down to have sex. We all looked at X with an extremely confused look on her face, like, where did that come from? The girl just looked at X and said, uh, no man. X then said, wow, I'm very offended right now, come on, it would be fun. We all just stared at him and thought, what the fuck just happened? Granted, the girl's current boyfriend was there in a tent only a few feet away. X was extremely serious. This is the point where my boyfriend and I looked at each other like, oh no, he's gone. The thing with X is that he has suffered through schizophrenic tendencies and episodes of dual personality disorder, and members of his biological family have suffered through mental illness. He had been fine so far over the weekend, but no one should have let him take those mushrooms. X got up and left the fire. After that, everything was relatively okay for maybe about an hour. Throughout this hour, however, X started to say very strange things. The group was back together at the fire. X then continued to say out of nowhere, I didn't get to come. We were all like, what? He then said, I'm not down. I need to go home. I'm just not feeling it. Where are the keys? I want to go home. We were three hours away, an hour from the nearest city, and everyone was too intoxicated to drive, but X was insistent. My boyfriend went up to him and said, No man, we can't go home right now. It's not possible. Everyone is too fucked up. No one can drive. And there was no way in hell we were going to let him take someone's keys so he could drive. He was obviously so far gone in the mushrooms he would die, or worse, try to kill himself. At this point, the tension in the air greatly intensified. My good, blissful trip had now been infested with complete fear. I was so scared. This situation was far too hard to deal with at the time. X was extremely insistent. He then began to obsessively ask where the girl was, his ex-girlfriend. She had gone to her tent with her boyfriend to go lay down at this point. He also kept insisting for the keys. He kept repeating himself over and over and everyone began to fear the situation. My boyfriend just grabbed him and hugged him and said, I love you too much, man. Everything is okay. Come sit with me. I love you. It's okay. He was saying everything he could to try to calm him down. As my boyfriend was hugging him and saying this, X began to lick and kiss his neck very intensely. X then continued to say, No, I'm not down. This continued and repeated for what seemed to be at least an hour, which really ended up being about 20 minutes. We convinced X to try to lay down and relax. He agreed and laid down outside of a tent. After about a half hour of him being silent on the ground with his eyes wide open, he silently got up and sat next to the girl who at this point came out of her tent. No one noticed him at first. Suddenly, without anyone expecting it, X jumped onto the girl, pinned her to the ground, and tried to kiss her. Her boyfriend and mine both shot up and grabbed him off of her. Everyone was still tripping insanely hard. The situation was so extremely frightening and intense, no one knew what to do or how to handle it. My boyfriend ripped him from her, and as he did so, X screamed louder and more intensely than I have ever witnessed before. I shot up from my chair and ran to the dark corner of the camp. I was trembling, almost throwing up from the terror. No, no, no! 
X shouted as if someone was peeling off his skin. There was so much pain and fear in his voice. The girl scrambled up and just stared at X. She was sobbing. X then continued to scream, I love you. I love you. Why? Why do you have to be with him? I just want to make the pain stop. I just want it to end. I could not bear to look at him. I just stared into the earth and trembled. There were only two girls there. One of them had just been assaulted. I felt like we had all entered hell, that we had all crossed over into the spirit world and that ghosts and demons were stalking us outside our camp and controlling what was going on. I was having severe auditory hallucinations, voices, screaming, loud cracking, and noises coming from the dark forest that trapped us. It took me every bit of my strength not to lose it. Her boyfriend looked at her from across the fire and asked if she was okay. My boyfriend told them to leave and to go somewhere safe. As they left, X continued to scream and fight back. The most horrible fucking scream. I could still hear it so clearly. On top of the screaming was the wailing from the poor girl who had just been assaulted. Screaming, crying, all of the energy was so intensified. A few members of the group were sober or had only drank alcohol, yet were still crying and fearful like the rest of us. They even admitted that they had begun tripping themselves even though they never took psychedelics. The energy that engulfed us was that strong. Then just as sudden as it started, X said, Can we relax? I just want to be happy. Can I sit by the fire with you guys? As if none of that even happened. Just like that, he was a different person. My fear of him intensified. He sat by the fire and so did I. I shook in my chair and mustered up the courage to look at his face. His eyes were black. His entire pupil was dilated so far that no more color could be seen in his eyes. There was also a second set of eyes looking out beneath his. Everyone's face was normal, except his. I knew something had crept inside him and changed who he was to his core. He then began to say, I think I just had a really bad trip. I just really want to know what it's like to die. Where is she? Where is she? I want more mushrooms. I don't ever want to sleep. Everyone shook in their seats. All we could do at this point was to talk him through it, tell him everything he wanted to hear, and to stay as calm as possible. He would reach out to the embers of the fire and try to burn himself. My boyfriend had to restrain him. At this point, I was so terrified I had to go to the car. I had to go lock myself inside. My boyfriend and I got up and left. We did not have a flashlight, only a lighter. So he held the lighter out on the trail and led the way. There was a point where we were walking and both behind us and in front of us was complete darkness. We couldn't even see the fire anymore. The lighter only lit three feet of space. I then began to panic because I could not see the road or the fire behind us and the car was only supposed to be no more than 20 yards from the campfire. It felt like we were never going to get there and that we would be walking in the darkness forever. Then my boyfriend's lighter exploded so we had to find our way in the complete darkness. I looked up at the stars and the light was so blue and intense. The stars were rotating, shifting, shooting across the sky extremely fast. At this point, I knew for sure I had traveled to a different dimension because nothing was making sense anymore, yet the stars were still so beautiful. I then began to remember the loving force that seemed to protect me. I knew I was going to get through this night no matter how long it seemed because that force still enveloped me. We locked ourselves inside of the car and wrapped ourselves in sleeping bags. My brain was way too hyperactive to sleep. My boyfriend had taken less mushrooms, it wasn't as stimulated. He began to fall asleep, leaving me alone in the darkness of the car until light shined through the next morning. 
I sat in the car in the darkness, terrified for my life until the sun came up. There were too many things that I experienced inside the car to really document. Morning was such a relief to me, but I was still tripping well into midday, but it was a very light trip, almost like a heightened awareness. My boyfriend and I packed up and left. I couldn't bear to go back to the camp and look at his face. There was such a darkness inside of him. It shook me so bad I still struggle with it. It was the epitome of fear and evil. Mental illness creates such a sad and terrifying pit inside of people who suffer from it. In conclusion, I have never experienced such fear and insanity in my life. To see a person so broken down and so far gone was extremely terrifying and existential. X had woken up the next morning and remembered nothing. This frightened us because this made it obvious that it was his dual personality that had taken over. To see a schizophrenic have a bad trip on mushrooms was indescribably traumatic. I had both the worst and the best trip of my life that night. I stand true to the fact that mushrooms are teachers and are there to provide a heightened awareness of either the fear or the love that exists all around us. I chose to embrace love and not fear last night, and that is what got me through it. The days following this, I had severe nausea, anxiety, and discomfort. My body was still feeling the effects of the experience. This will stick with me for the rest of my life. I am recollecting this from a year old memory, so elements of timing may be foggy. To be clear, I was not the subject of this experience. This experience took place during a three and a half month long study abroad in a Chinese speaking city. I do not speak more than a few words of Chinese. I was good friends with the subject, from here on known as X, lived next to him and hung out with him every day. He always seemed like an upbeat and friendly guy, willing to party and have a good time. He only once mentioned use of any drugs heavier than marijuana or alcohol. He told me he had overdosed before and that he no longer used. Looking back, I now recognize the signs of opiate withdrawals in him, sudden bouts of nausea and vomiting while on the subway and general unprovoked moodiness. One day, as we were both preparing to give a presentation, I come out of my room and see him by the water cooler acting drunk. He was stumbling and slurring. I said to him, you are really channeling your inner Heath Ledger today, an unknowingly foreboding statement. I went back to my room and continued preparing for the rest of the night. The next day, we all walked to our classroom where we would be giving our presentation that day. X was nowhere to be found on the walk over and I made note of his absence. He eventually arrived late as the first groups were beginning our presentations. I presented mine and as X's group went up, it was clear he was impaired giving the presentation. Me and several other classmates looked at each other with incredulous looks as he stood there mumbling incoherently before delivering a very sleepy and obviously high sounding report. About 5-10 to 10 minutes in after a round of questioning from an unimpressed professor, X's eyes began rolling into the back of his head and he began twitching. He keeled over towards the ground and me and another good friend ran to catch him. X began seizing violently as me and the other student, both trained in first aid, held his head from hitting the ground and told off anyone trying to put things in his mouth to prevent him from biting his tongue. Typical bad movie advice, do not ever do this to someone having a seizure. An ambulance was called and we began going through X's bag looking for medication. Upon looking through his bag, the professor found several small Ziploc drug bags labeled with compounds. 
These compounds included AH7921, atizolam, and two others. There was also a container of prescription Zolpidem, better known as Ambien. The ambulance arrived and I followed the EMTs down the elevator to the street. One look at my professor told me he was not ready to deal with this, so I grabbed a backpack full of drugs and jumped in the ambulance as it was leaving. During the ride, I used Google Translate to write a message for the doctor, telling him that his patient was likely on some type of downer and not to administer anything that could have an interaction. I did my best not to incriminate X as I was not familiar with the drug laws in this country, but rumors were they were incredibly harsh. X was beginning to wake from his unconsciousness on the ride to the hospital, and I tried to interrogate him on which drug he had taken. All I could confirm before he passed out again was that he had smoked the AH7921. I recognized the compound as an opiate analog from the picture on the bag, and upon arriving at the hospital, did my best to tell the doctors not to give him the typical treatment for seizures, benzodiazepines, which would interact with and intensify the effects of an opiate. I stayed in the hospital with X for around six hours, during which time he drifted in and out of consciousness. Each time he awoke, he was in a very inebriated and agitated state, and I did my best to calm him down and keep him in the hospital bed. At one point, he began seizing violently again. This time, X stayed unconscious for well over two hours. I immediately gave up on trying to avoid giving the doctors any evidence to incriminate him and handed them all of the bags of drugs. I watched as they googled them and slowly translated English Wikipedia articles. Coming to the terrible realization that I may be more knowledgeable about how to deal with this situation than they were, I repeatedly suggested naloxone to no avail. I called X's parents during this time and talked to his sister and mother. They informed me of a more sordid past than X had ever let on. I also began calling friends, program directors, and professors to get any kind of support, anyone better qualified to handle this situation than me. Finally, the Chinese-speaking director of our program arrived at the hospital and translated what I was saying. During this time, X began improving and sat upright and held a conversation with me and confidentially confirmed that the only thing he had taken was the AH7921. I called him a stupid fuck and breathed a sigh of relief that things were getting better. After talking to our program director in Chinese for a long time, the doctors told her that they would handle it and that we should stay out of it because seizures can cause brain damage. I watched them administer a shot of an unknown substance, likely a benzodiazepine anticonvulsant drug. They reviewed X's condition and seeing that he was able to stand upright and walk in a straight line unassisted, they handed me back the bags of drugs and said we can go once we paid for the treatment. We exited the triage and emergency care area and went to the lobby where we sat chatting for around 15 to 20 minutes as they reviewed the medical files. I helped X pay for his medical bills at the desk, and as he stood up, his eyes began rolling into the back of his head again. I caught him as he once again began to seize. I called for help and they quickly got us a hospital bed and began wheeling X to the ICU. At this point, I was shaking, so I called my other friend in the program for emotional support who arrived after waiting in the ICU for about an hour and a half. X had become conscious and was fairly coherent for some time, and it was obvious these doctors were more attentive and we would receive better care. X was resisting treatment, which I took to be a good sign, and I was exhausted, so I decided to leave X in the care of my friend to get out of the hospital and eat for the first time in eight hours. X remained in the ICU for around a week because he had inhaled vomit into his lung which caused a small infection. After this, he was flown home. 
I was informed about a month later that X had passed away. The cause given by his family was that he had vomited while on his Zolpidem sleep medication and asphyxiated. This was a traumatic event for everyone involved. The choices leading up to it ultimately killed someone with a beautiful mind and boundless potential. This guy was well on his way to being an excellent scientist and he very likely could have done incredible things, not only for himself, but for all of humanity with the time he lost. I am sharing this so that someone might see it and learn from it. Please, if you are reading this and have a sordid past, think about the beautiful potential you have as a human being and find the willpower to stay alive. The story that I will be sharing with you occurred in the fall of 2019 and involves one of the worst experiences of my life, my first trip with DPH. Before I can delve into anything, however, I want to give you some context for why I did what I did. Only then will any of this make any sense. I was 19 at the time, young and open-minded, but quite naive. In the summer leading up to the fall, I experienced a lot of new things for the first time. Relevant to this story, two are important. My exposure to drugs and the development of my bipolar disorder. I'll start off with the drug use. My friends and I began to experiment with cannabis the summer before the fall of 2019, and boy, I got hooked fast. It was a great time in my life. I had some amazing experiences. I would work out, do creative writing, and many other things while high. Even the most mundane things like folding laundry, for instance, became enjoyable. It was amazing, to say the least, how a chemical could bring me instant joy. As with all good things, however, this would soon come to an end. You see, I was in a military program back at university. It kept me structured, healthy, and less likely to do dumb shit. More specifically, it kept me away from substances since they would conduct random drug tests, and since this was the organization where I got most of my scholarships from, I knew I had to drop the cannabis. This is why as summer came to an end, I had to wean off cannabis for good. Even though it's not supposed to be addictive, I definitely felt psychological withdrawal. Things were more dull and not as fun. Life seemed to turn gray. While I can't be certain, I think this is where things began to go south. During this period, a deep depression began to form, and with it, the beginning of self-harm. I really don't know why I started in the first place, but it made the hollow feeling I was experiencing from the depression and withdrawals go away. I wasn't trying to kill myself, at least not yet. It was simply a nasty habit that was forming. Anyways, I ended up going back to university in the fall, cannabis-free, but my depression and self-harm came with me. Things were spiraling out of control. My symptoms only seemed to increase as the semester went on, such as lack of sleep, depressed mood, irritability, loss of appetite, etc. It wasn't just depression though, other symptoms also appeared. Periods of high energy, racing thoughts, spikes in creativity, just to name a couple. What I didn't know at the time was that it wasn't just a depressive episode, it was actually the development of my bipolar disorder. I know what you're all thinking up until now. What does this have to do with DPH? Well, this is where two other symptoms of my disorder appeared that would eventually lead me to my first trip. High impulsivity and delusions. My impulses got out of hand. I couldn't hold back spending, what I said, and how much I cut myself. It was almost like a drug addiction. 
I would feel more alive, more alert, more like normal. Aside from that, I also began experiencing delusions. I firmly thought and felt that I was the worst human being ever and needed to help everyone at whatever cost to make up for it. I thought I had to punish myself by self-harming. I really believed I was worth nothing. No, less than nothing. Even when confronted with proof that it wasn't the case by my friends, I wouldn't listen. I was in extreme denial and convinced of my delusions. Fast forward a few more weeks and things had only gotten worse. I'll spare you the details, but just know that my bipolar disorder was getting out of hand and more noticeable. Anyways, I was in the restroom browsing Instagram one day, depressed out of my mind, when a meme popped up that caught my eye. It went a little something like this. Mom, can you give me money to buy some Benadryl, a frog said. To help you with your sleep, she replied. Yes, the frog said. I actually take 700 milligrams like a boss. Delirient psychosis time. I was puzzled. I wasn't sure what the meme meant, but I knew what delirium and psychosis were. I was a psychology major. Curious, when I got back to my dorm, I did some research on what I would soon learn was called diphenhydramine, or DPH. I found many accounts on Reddit and Arrowhead that described full trip reports. Spiders, shadow people, insects, auditory hallucinations, and an entity called the Hat Man. To say I was intrigued would have been an understatement. In my eyes, there is a source of untapped potential at my disposal. Drug tests didn't test for antihistamines. I was in the clear. Nothing was stopping me. Nothing was in my way. After a few more days of research, a delusion began to form in my head. It was gradual, but I eventually came to a realization and justification for why I had to do DPH. The rationale went something like this. Nothing is wrong in my life, yet I still feel depressed. My depression isn't getting any better. I have not experienced hardship. DPH could show me true hardship. DPH could be my wake-up call to combat my depression. I will come out of the experience a new woman. Reading that back to myself now makes me cringe. I really wasn't sure what the hell I was on about, but at the time it made perfect sense to me why I had to carry out this trip. As I slowly formed my plan, I came to tell two of my closest friends and most trusted friends. For the sake of this story, I'll call them Jacqueline and Aaron. Jacqueline was the type of friend to let you vent non-stop and offer non-judgmental feedback. She would make a great therapist. When I told her my idea, she showed concern, but let me defend my point. I must have been pretty convincing since she eventually relented and promised not to interfere. Then there was Aaron. Aaron, much like Jacqueline, was a good listener. He was a bit more likely to give his own input, but I liked that about him. It kept things interesting. I thought I would be able to convince him just like Jacqueline. I thought I made perfect sense. Aaron didn't think so, though. In fact, he expressed a significant amount of concern in my idea. I did my best to try and reason with him, but he wasn't having it. Aaron asked me a lot of questions, many of which I knew would disprove my point, so I lied. In the end, we agreed to disagree, and I thought that would be the end of it. A few days later, Aaron and I were spending time together, and the subject of DPH was brought back up. I was initially excited because I thought Aaron had finally come around, but fun fact, no. Instead, he lectured me on how dangerous it was, that I could have seizures, that I could go into respiratory depression, that I could die at the dose I was planning on doing, 700 milligrams. I got extremely defensive at this and told him to mind his own business. Everything would be fine. I had to go through with it. 
Before I left Aaron, however, he asked me one final question. When are you doing it? Stupidly, I told him the exact date, this coming weekend. I didn't think anything of it at the time, but I would soon come to regret telling him. One day after our band practice, I forgot to mention I was part of the band, Aaron asked me to come over to his dorm. Confused but intrigued, I obliged. Once in his dorm, he sat me down and looked at me very intensely. What came out of his mouth next sent a shockwave of emotions across my body. He told on me. He told on me to the highest authority of our organization. Aaron said that it was for my own good. One thing you should know about me is that I'm usually a very understanding and passive woman, but at that moment, that girl was gone. Instead, a bomb exploded. I told Aaron off in a way I had never done to anyone. I think I experienced all stages of grief in that argument. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, but no acceptance. It was unfathomable to me that Aaron would ever betray me. I felt more hopeless and alone in that moment than I've ever felt in my entire life. I genuinely thought I had no one left and that my life was going to be ruined forever. Once I got back to my dorm, my seething anger turned into a massive crying spell. I cried and wailed so loudly that my friends eventually came to my aid. When they tried to get me to talk and find out what was wrong, I couldn't say anything. I didn't want anyone finding out about my DPH trip. I knew they would try and stop me, so I told them that my depression and self-harm had gotten out of control, and I was just really sad, which was true, just not the real truth. After several more excruciating moments, I finally calmed down enough to where I could breathe normally. Regaining my composure, I told my friends that I needed time alone. They asked if I was really okay, and I lied, saying yes. And so, they left. Once I ensured that they were truly gone, I got dressed, grabbed my keys, and walked to my car. The trip wasn't going to happen on the weekend anymore. It was going to happen today. I still remember how cold and cloudy that October day was. It was the perfect weather to stay indoors. Well, I would soon be indoors, but I had to run a few errands first. I started with getting food at my favorite restaurant, a sushi place I liked a lot. After getting my order, I then went to my local supermarket. Before I could begin my search, however, I had a sort of cosmic coincidence. This should have been a sign for me not to do my trip, but by sheer luck, I ran into the chaplain of our unit back in my military program. His job was to listen to our problems, offer support, and guide us to the right resources, exactly what I needed. I would have shared what was going on, I should have shared what was going on, but, like I mentioned before, I felt like I couldn't trust anyone. So, just like all the other times, I lied. I told him I was here to get groceries. After a bit of small talk, we eventually parted ways. I really should have taken this as a sign, but I didn't. Nothing was going to stop me. Walking around the medicine aisles, I finally found what I was looking for. The little pink tablets of Benadryl. Excited, I grabbed the small bottle, paid for it, and headed directly to my dorm. Before I began my trip, I first ate my meal in peace. My roommate was going to be out most of the day studying, so I wouldn't have to worry about any interferences. After my meal, I took a nice warm shower. I felt an odd calmness as the water hit me. I wasn't depressed, scared, or anything. In fact, I actually felt a little happy and somewhat excited. Wrapping up my shower and drying off, I put on some comfortable PJs and began to count the pills. Like in the meme, I planned to do 700 milligrams or 28 pink tablets. 
I held them in my hand with anticipation. Then, after a few seconds of short contemplation, I swallowed every last tablet down with some soda. The waiting game had begun. It was around 3 p.m. According to some accounts I had read, the onset would happen in roughly 30 minutes to an hour, so I had some time to kill. As I sat at my desk, the realization of what I had done slowly crept into my mind. It was a short moment of clarity of how stupid what I had just done was. With this newfound clarity, I realized that there really was a chance this could go wrong. I realized I could die. Quickly, I began to do the only thing I thought was logical. I had to write a suicide note. For the record, I wasn't scared of dying, at least before the trip began. If I died from an overdose, so be it. If I didn't, so be it. The note was very brief. I essentially apologized for my actions and it... The note was very brief. I essentially apologized for my actions and that it wasn't my intention to kill myself. In hindsight, I realized there was barely any effort put into the letter. After giving a final goodbye to my parents, siblings, and friends, I put the note on my desk and climbed into bed. At around this time, it had been 30 minutes since I ingested the 700 milligrams. This is where it began. The first sign the DPH was taking effect was that I suddenly got very cold. Not even my bed sheets captured any heat. Then, a stomach ache began to form. A really bad stomach ache. The pain was comparable to a really bad period cramp. I curled into the fetal position, but the ache only got worse. Oddly enough, there was no need to vomit. During the painful aches, I developed perhaps the worst symptoms of the trip, body aches and restlessness. I can't begin to describe how uncomfortable I felt. I was absolutely miserable. Every symptom made the other worse. My body wanted me to stretch out to avoid the restlessness, but that made it and my stomach aches worse. If I curled up again, the restlessness would become unbearable. Later, my leg began to shake violently. It was very hard to stop. Then, about an hour in, that's when all hell broke loose. As I looked around, I began to notice that the walls were erratically and violently shifting. It almost looked like they were breathing. After staring at the walls and ceiling for several minutes, I made the mistake of looking down. Hundreds of little clear baby spiders coated the floor. What was originally a shoe transformed into a spiky caterpillar before my very eyes. Some loose cables started to move around like snakes and giant worms. At this point, I still had some consciousness left in me, so I reasoned that they were hallucinations, but I was nevertheless petrified at the sight. I figured I should leave the dark room and into the lit hallway, but as I tried to leave my bed, I felt like my body weighed a ton. When I tried to walk, I almost fell. My legs felt like they were made of gelatin. To my disappointment, I understood that I couldn't walk, so I got back in bed. Again, I can't overstate how uncomfortable I felt. I was beginning to feel like I was going to die. This is when I had an epiphany. Sure, I wasn't scared of death, but I was scared of how I was going to die. I realized I had committed a huge mistake taking the substance. Not only was I going to die, but I was going to die in a nightmare. Rather than accepting my death, however, I tried to listen to music to calm down. Unfortunately, the opposite happened. The music was severely distorted. I couldn't recognize a single word as English. Loud banging and popping sounds also occurred, which frightened me. I immediately took off the headphones, but the auditory hallucinations continued. I heard my name being called, doors opening and closing, conversations between unfamiliar voices, etc. To say I was horrified would be a lie. I was petrified. 
About an hour and a half in, my consciousness began to fade in and out. It was difficult to distinguish reality from delirium. I found myself conversing with random strangers just for them to suddenly vanish in the blink of an eye. Every type of creepy crawly thing you can imagine invaded my bed, but it seemed normal to me by this point. I wasn't frightened anymore. This was until I saw probably the most haunting hallucination of the whole trip. He was really there. He looked exactly like in the meme, the hat man. In hindsight, I believe my mind conjured him up subconsciously because I had seen an image of him, but at the time, he was real. The hat man stood in the corner of the room only a few feet away. Sometimes he would walk towards the bed, other times he would walk back to the corner. The entire time he didn't speak a word, but I could hear his footsteps. They sounded like boots hitting wood, but with reverb, comparable to walking on an empty stage. This was the last thing I remembered seeing before I blacked out. When I came to, I noticed I had fallen asleep. I dared not move a muscle, however, as my roommate was across the room studying on her bed. I had no concept of time, but there was still light seeping through the curtains, so it was still daytime. As I mentioned before, she wasn't supposed to be back until nighttime, but I had forgotten that detail in my delirious state. With peeled eyes, I stared at her from across the room. She was lying in bed with a small lamp reading a textbook. Something was very off though. As I made out more and more of her details, the more I realized that there was something unnatural about her appearance. While the details are a bit hazy, I do remember her making threatening and frightening faces at me. Her eyes were also darting erratically back and forth, so I couldn't really tell if she was looking at me. Then, I blacked out again. I don't know how much time had passed, but I was suddenly awoken by a loud sound. After I gathered my senses, I realized it was a fire drill. With the little strength I had, I quickly put on a jacket and stumbled down the stairs to go outside. I should mention that my roommate wasn't in the room anymore. I assumed she was already outside. When I made it out, I saw very few people. Due to how dark it was, I could barely make them out, their silhouettes being the only distinguishing characteristic. Feeling horrible and cold from the weather, I made it to another building and sat down. I don't know how long I sat there, but after some time I got the sudden feeling that I would get found out, so I made it out of the building and back into my own. By this time, the drill had ended and everyone was back inside. When I returned before I climbed back into bed, I got a sudden and very powerful urge to vomit. I rushed as fast as I could to the restroom, barely making it. What came out was my half-digested last meal along with a load of partially digested pink tablets. I think throwing up really helped me the next day. After flushing the toilet, I collapsed onto my bed and fell into a deep slumber. The next morning was miserable. I woke up to a severe and sickening hangover. Not only were my motor skills shot, but I had wicked vertigo that constantly gave me nausea. My roommate asked me if I was okay, but I lied to her and said that I was just feeling sick. That seemed to convince her rather quickly and she didn't press on the matter. Despite feeling like absolute garbage, I got dressed and instead of going to class, I went to a trusted professor. I now knew I needed help. As I began to explain to her the nature of the incident, she quickly stopped me. She said to proceed very carefully and to choose my words wisely. She told me if I told her something regarding suicide or anything of that nature, she would be forced to involve the university due to a statute called Title IX. That sparked a fear in me similar to the one that I experienced when Aaron had told on me, so when she allowed me to continue, I lied yet again. I don't remember exactly what I told her, but it ended with her directing me to the university's counseling center. 
With an empathetic and hopeful smile, she let me go. After the experience, I came to learn a few other things. For one, my roommate had not been in the dorm until late at night. This was confirmed by her explaining that she found me asleep with my clothes and jacket still on. That meant that what I saw yesterday, her reading the textbook, was just a hallucination. Additionally, I heard absolutely no one talking about last night's fire drill, nothing at all. This left me wondering if it even happened. I later found out via Jacqueline that it, in fact, did not happen. To this day, I'm still convinced that it did. Those alarms sounded so real, then again, everything else felt pretty real too in my delirium. This sums up my hellish experience with DPH. As expected, I didn't come out of the trip magically rehabilitated. Instead, I came back with trauma. I can't forget how horrible I felt while on the drug. I've never experienced such discomfort and pain like that ever since. Darkness now slightly scares me, like someone is watching me. I did eventually end up going to the university's counseling center, but they were absolutely useless. Not even my self-harm was deemed severe enough to warrant further attention. What a disservice. A few years down the line and I still use substances. I experimented with DXML at university and fell in love with it. It's still my favorite drug to date. Once I graduated, I was no longer bound by the random drug tests of my program, so I started experimenting with substances like LSD, psilocybin, kratom, benzodiazepines, nicotine, and many combinations thereof. I've also used DPH several more times, but I've never done 700 milligrams or anything higher. My highest dose since has been 600 milligrams. On a more positive note, I've gotten medicated for my bipolar disorder, and my self-harm has mostly stopped with therapy. While I still use drugs occasionally, I've tried to stick to cannabis only in the form of Delta-8. I've found it's the one I can function with the best. DPH, to me, is still a very interesting drug. Delirians in general are, such as Datura, but given all the reports, I don't intend on ever trying that poison. DPH has shown me what delirium looks and feels like. I now feel more empathy towards those suffering from psychotic and neurodegenerative disorders like schizophrenia, Alzheimer's, and dementia. I would strongly recommend that you don't commit the same mistake I made. Since I had no tolerance for the drug at the time, I could have very likely died. To this day, I consider myself lucky to not have gotten a seizure, respiratory depression, or worse. DPH is not a substance to take lightly. It is powerful. It is frightening. It is a nightmare. I wish I had never found that meme. Just maybe I would never have experienced this in the first place. So please, be safe. Don't do dumb. And don't take advice from a frog in a meme. It was December, I had just ended a four-month hiatus from smoking marijuana. I was getting very high and certainly enjoying becoming reaccustomed to pot once again. Towards the end of the month, right after Christmas, I was with my two female friends, which I will refer to as M&A, and we decided to contact a dealer that M knew. I had never met this dealer before, but M claimed that he was a reliable source of good weed. She made the arrangements over the phone and we drove to his house where M went inside to purchase the pot. We had all pitched in money and planned to get about a quarter ounce of what we were told was very high quality nugget. M soon returned and I anxiously looked at the weed that she brought back with her. We all recognized it as looking like very poor quality. 
M suggested that we try to smoke it before making a judgment, and we did just that by packing a bowl. The smoke was unpleasant, but it didn't taste that abnormal at the time. After only two hits, I felt extraordinarily stoned. This was reminiscent of a very, very deep and sedative indica high, but it was on a much different level. I was extremely sedated and my motivation to do anything other than sit in position in the car was completely gone. Everyone was eerily quiet and seemingly irritable when we went to split the weed up at A's house. Since I was on a seasonal vacation from school, I decided to spend the next few days laying around the house and smoking my newly acquired pot. The main odd thing that I had noticed at this point was that I was getting very, very high, more so than I had ever been before, and I had been smoking weed consistently since I was 14 years old. I also had lost the ability to fake being sober while on it. It was painfully obvious that I was inebriated when I walked around my house. Since I had just ended a relatively long pot break, I still wasn't fully adjusted to being high again, so I attributed this overwhelming stoning to not having any tolerance. I also had almost forgot what it was like to be ordinarily high, which commonly happens when you take a break for long enough. Soon came New Year's Eve, I was staying at A's house with M again. We planned on celebrating the arrival of the New Year in the typical fashion of getting very drunk and very stoned. Upon arriving, we all began to smoke a bowl. One bowl of this weed was more than enough and none of us needed to continue. One of the many differences between this and ordinary weed was that you can get high enough and be very sure of when you were at this level. Soon we began drinking hard liquor. I drank a few cups of vodka and wine and began to feel drunk. We decided to go and smoke more weed. We had smoked a lot this time, a few bowls. After finishing this, I was very fucked up. We all seemed to be. We sat down in silence at a table in A's basement. Several of our friends soon arrived at A's basement door. They were having a party near her house and they wanted to join us. The first thing that one of them said to me was, Man, you look dead. As they sat down and talked, I suddenly lost the ability to move my mouth. I literally could not move it. Soon my entire body was numb and my stomach was in intense agony. This hit me out of nowhere. This was followed by an extreme ringing noise in my ears. I got up to go to the bathroom and walking was nearly impossible. My entire body was numb. I stumbled in a stupor to the bathroom. It was very much like walking when very fucked up in coincidence, but even more debilitating. I walked into the bathroom and kneeled down on the floor for a few seconds, but then decided that I needed to go back for some reason. I walked back to the table and somehow managed to sit down. Soon, my vision became completely grayscale and then strobed. This became horrifyingly intense and I absolutely had to lay my head down. Soon, my vision was entirely black. As I laid there, my stomach felt worse than it ever has in my entire life. My eyes were involuntarily oscillating. I was sure that I was going to die. I thought about what my parents would think when they found out that I had died from a drug overdose. This seemed to last a very long time. I wanted desperately to tell someone to take me to a hospital, but I was completely paralyzed. I could not move. Then suddenly, I came back into consciousness. The stomach pains lessened and I propped my head up. I was still unsure of what had just happened, but I now knew that this was definitely not ordinary weed. Soon the other friends left except for one. I will call him R. We all went outside to smoke a cigarette and M wanted to smoke another bowl. I did not join in this time. 
I started talking to M about how unusual and disassociating this weed was, and she actually had told me that she suspected that it was laced the day after we had purchased it. She still persisted to smoke it though, being the uninhibited person that she tends to be. Our friend R said he would take a hit to see what he felt. He took a small one, but claimed to feel very disassociated and very stoned. Throughout the rest of the night, we discussed the possibility of the weed being laced. I felt very oddly disassociated at times. My surroundings felt surreal, and I was, well, disassociated. At one point in the night while we sat outside, I felt somewhat euphoric on the very detached come down. All of our friends had noticed how extremely pale we had become. It was very obvious. I quickly came to the conclusion, after reading much information, that it was laced with PCP. M was extremely skeptical of this and continued to deny that it was laced with PCP for nearly a month. I hid what I had left of this weed in my closet while M continued to smoke it. A few weeks later, I had not smoked since the New Year's incident, and I was in the middle of a confusing and mentally draining situation with my girlfriend at the time. I was very stressed out, and I had made a mistake that I would regret for the rest of my life. I smoked more of the weed. I was starting to be persuaded by M that it wasn't laced with PCP and that it was just an overpowering type of weed. I started smoking it again, but I would only take one hit each night. One hit of a minuscule amount of the weed was more than enough. After that, I would often lay and feel as though I was moving, comparable as to how you would feel if you closed your eyes while on a carousel. I, of course, continued to be very inebriated. I noticed that the high also came in waves. One moment I would feel fine and then I would be very stoned again. I continued smoking it for a few weeks until I gave in to my instinct and stopped. To my surprise, I would always feel fucked up and stoned again when I would first wake up in the morning or smoke cigarettes. I also began to notice my extreme paleness, odd facial structure changes, and it would seem like a rash on my forehead. A few weeks after quitting, I started to experience severe psychosis. I felt delirious and out of touch with reality all the time. Everything was surreal and I was undoubtedly depressed like I had never been before. All of those who had smoked the PCP seemed to be having identical after effects. We all had a lot of trouble articulating words and forming sentences and we slurred our speech. The schizophrenic-like phase was so long ago that I can't quite remember all of the effects, but I was psychotic like I had never been before. I cannot stress how horrible this was enough. I became irritated with anyone who would talk to me, and I had several very aggressive fits of absolute rage after simply looking in the mirror. I hadn't even considered the fact that this had all stemmed from smoking PCP because my mind was so clouded at the time. I did not know of the horribly negative after effects of PCP because they are not well documented. When I would wake up from sleep, I would feel very stoned again, and it was as though my dream hallucinations lingered on for a while when I first awoke in a daze. I am still unsure of why this is. It was very out of the ordinary. A month or so after quitting, I told my other friends from school of this odd weed. They decided to test it out. They felt confident that it was not laced with PCP. One suggested that it was just sprayed with an herbicide. We drove around and I gave them what I had left of this weed to smoke. I refused to join them. Immediately one of them, a self-acclaimed connoisseur of weed, said that it smelt of plastic and was not typical of weed at all. I had not noticed a very pungent odor until he had pointed it out. It does have a very distinct smell, but I wouldn't compare it to plastic. They smoked it and both said that they felt very stoned but not extremely abnormal. 
Soon they claimed to be very disassociated, and they noted how the stone feeling that it created occurred in waves. They decided on calling their 50-year-old veteran psychonaut friend who had actually smoked PCP many times in the past in order to verify what this was. We met him, and he took one hit of the pipe. He said that it was without a doubt PCP, and that we were in for the mental hell of our lives. Soon thereafter, these two friends stumbled onto the source that the dealer had got this weed from and further verified that it definitely is PCP. Both of them also persisted on smoking more of it for a while. It has now been six months since I stopped smoking PCP. Although it is easy to blame my problems of the present on a drug, I know that my life has been partially ruined by it. My skin and appearance is much different. I am clinically depressed and fatigued to the point where I can barely function at times, and I am very, very irritable, cynical, and aggressive. I used to be such a passive and easygoing guy. The personality shift that resulted from this has cost me two girlfriends, a job, and the majority of my friends. I no longer get the pleasurable marijuana highs that I miss so much. For a while afterwards, all that I felt when smoking ordinary unlaced weed was a stupor-like PCP high. After a while, that faded away, but pot then just burnt me out and sent me into horrible depressive states for weeks. I have now abstained from smoking weed for a few months, and I worry that I will never be able to simply get innocently high again. Nobody should ever take that for granted. PCP is a lot more dangerous than it seems to be perceived by the drug-consuming community. It does not inspire you to go on psychotic rages when high on it, but the schizophrenia and the fucking mental hell that it can induce very well could. The after effects on many brain chemicals, hormones, and your body can be permanent, and it is neurotoxic. I am still very much negatively affected to this day, and I know that I will never be quite normal again. All of those who had smoked the PCP lace weed, including the friends who had tested it out, have all claimed to some degree to be severely depressed, worn out, and or psychotic after smoking this horrible substance. I have also personally noticed that everyone involved in smoking it seemed to have very similar and damaging after effects. My weed was laced with PCP. It does happen, and it is not a myth. I have since found out that PCP is one of the easier chemicals to make. It is very economical to spray PCP on dirt weed and sell it as high quality for five to six times its original value. Be careful when habitually using this chemical, as it will put you through a hell that many will not be mentally strong enough to handle. I had been up for about a week doing meth and heroin, IV route, and I was at a McDonald's off of Hennepin Avenue in Minneapolis. While I was sitting at a table, I became very paranoid, and I heard someone sitting nearby begin to talk about kidnapping and torturing me. I heard little snippets of the conversation, and what stood out to me was, handcuff him and just throw him in the trunk, take him back to the house and teach him a lesson with a blowtorch. What the fuck? I was on a bit of a spree at this time, robbing every heroin dealer I knew with these really amazing fake $50 bills I learned how to make. These things had a watermark and they passed the marker test. It was a really crazy time in my life because it was like having unlimited money and I was on quite the run. By run I mean I was heavy binging on all the free drugs I had acquired using this method. So naturally I was paranoid since I had recently ripped off so many people. And it was people that it's probably best not to fuck with. This was the state of things in my life at the moment and I started hearing these crazy things so I completely freaked out, went into the bathroom and called the police. 
and for me to call the fucking police of all things. Trust me, I was completely terrified. These threats seemed entirely real to me, so real in fact that I still question myself to this day what really happened. I called 911 and said quietly and quickly that I'm at this McDonald's and I'm being threatened and I'm in fear for my life and hung up. As soon as I hung up, I thought to myself, what the fuck did you just do, dumbass? Are you stupid, dude? You're a criminal with felonies on your record. You've got fake bills and all kinds of drugs on you and the police are on the way. You better go now. So I got up to leave and I saw the police coming in as I went out the door and they had no idea who had called at this point. So I just got the hell out of there before they got anything figured out. I still think I'm being followed by these people that want to hurt me at this point, and now I pissed them off even more by involving law enforcement. My paranoid, meth-addled brain was sure that they knew I was the one that got the police to come to the McDonald's. I ran to the closest building to this McDonald's, which happened to be a church that was having a clothing drive for the homeless. At this point, I fit that description. I was rail thin and had been up for days on end wearing the same clothes. I grabbed some clothes off the rack and asked if I could have it, and the lady looked at me sadly and said, Of course, honey, that's what we're here for today. You can take whatever you need. I felt like I was in a movie now, having changed clothes to throw my kidnappers off my trail. I got out of there and went into some random building that was nearby that I think was some kind of place that helped people find housing. I'm not sure, it's all pretty foggy. Now remember, I was on a lot of drugs at this time. I went in there to do another shot of heroin hoping it would take the edge off and help me calm down from this wild paranoia. No such luck, they had followed me in. I kept seeing the same group of four people following me and just menacingly looking at me, just waiting me out so they can get me alone. I was the prey, they were the hunters. I was so scared at this point, I texted my dad to come and get me. All I said was, Dad, please help me, I'm in a bad situation, I need you to pick me up. My poor, long-suffering dad was always there for me in a bad situation. I couldn't have asked for a better father. Even though he knew I had been up to no good, he was always down to come get his son out of trouble. My dad pulled up as my paranoia was getting worse and worse. When I saw his car, I booked it out. I jumped in the front seat and slouched down so my enemies couldn't see me and said to my dad, They're going to follow us for sure. Go! Go! And my dad didn't hesitate to step on it. He knew I kept some bad company in the past and saw how scared I looked, so he obliged. The whole time I was ducking down and peeking out from behind my seat to check if they were following me, and I was convinced that they were hot on my trail. I told my dad directions to a Starbucks nearby that my friend worked at so I could see her there and grab a Xanax from her to calm me down. We made it to the coffee shop and I was terrified the whole drive, and I ran inside the Starbucks looking sketchy as all hell and saw my friend behind the counter, we'll call her G. I came up looking frantic and said, Gee, I'm freaking out. I need a Xan right now. Bad. And G, being the absolutely amazing friend that she is, gave me one with no questions asked. This is where the story gets even crazier. After I got the Xan and ate it, I saw a woman wearing a burqa enter the store. There is a large Somali population here in Minneapolis, so there's lots of women wearing burqas around. But to my paranoid mind, this was an assassin disguised as a woman so they can kill me without being seen on camera. So I dove behind the counter at Starbucks cowering in fear, just causing a major scene in front of everyone including G's manager. Luckily, she explained it away somehow and her job wasn't affected. As the woman came closer, it clicked in my mind that I was mistaken and this was no assassin at all. I apologized to my friend G and just ran the fuck out of that Starbucks. Still scared that my pursuers were outside waiting, I crouched down again and ran back to the car where my dad was at. 
A few minutes later, my friend G called me and convinced me that the safest place for me was at the hospital and that nobody trying to hurt me was ever going to follow me there. This actually made perfect sense to me, so I told my dad to go to the nearest hospital, which he was happy to do, as he also thought it was a good place for me instead of bringing my cracked out paranoia to the house and scaring the fuck out of my mom. That little piece of advice from G ended up saving my life because I was actually in septic shock at the time and this was causing severe hallucinations on top of all the meth and lack of sleep. I was actually very very sick, on death's door, really. I was literally dying. When I got to the hospital I was admitted for endocarditis, septic shock and major organ failure. I barely survived, I got there in the nick of time. I was just doing so much heroin and meth at the time, I was numbing my body to the point that I couldn't tell that I was literally about to die. Once the heroin wore off, I was in major pain. I couldn't do anything, not even get up to shit, so I had to do that in a bedpan. God bless those poor nurses that had to help me with that, that I know for sure that wasn't fun for them. Luckily, the doctor gave me plenty of pain meds to help make me more comfortable, which I was honestly surprised by since I was clearly a drug addict and I'd only been treated like shit at hospitals up until that point for being on drugs. The doctor even put me on methadone so I wouldn't have to suffer withdrawal. Anyway, I ended up staying in the hospital on IV antibiotics to treat the endocarditis for the next two months. I am lucky to be alive today and I barely survived. Thank God for good friends like G. I'm still friends with her to this day. She's my best friend. If it wasn't for her amazing advice to hide from my imaginary kidnappers at the hospital, I wouldn't be here today. She always knows just what to say to calm me down or make me feel better. She's the best. She's also saved my life about five times previously when I overdosed. I actually overdosed right before I went to the McDonald's, which shows how reckless I was with my drug use at the time to just keep on trucking even right after an overdose. It was such a real and intense hallucination that it still leaves me questioning what was really going on to this day. The kidnappers may not have been real, but the trauma shooting up drugs left my body with definitely was. I still shudder sometimes when I think about it. I know that was a long ass story and if you actually made it to the end, thanks for listening to my rambling thoughts. I hope it wasn't too confusing. I was having a horrible day and figured, well, this day possibly couldn't get any worse, but it could. I arrived at school like normal, but I was in a very strange mood. I was just angry at everyone and wanted to escape for a little while. So in the beginning of my first hour class, I asked a guy friend of mine if he had anything to make me feel better because I wanted to try something new. So he gave me a sheet of Carisidin cough and cold pills. There are eight in a sheet. During my second hour class, I finally said, oh what the hell, and started popping the pills one by one. After taking four of them, I lost count and just took the rest, which were just four more. It was around 9.15am, but I didn't start feeling anything until my fourth hour psychology class. I had told one of my friends who frequently has used drugs and popped pills before what I had done. She said I hope you have fun and she started braiding my hair. All of a sudden, I started to feel extremely happy like I was the happiest person alive. For some reason, I then turned around and said, if I suddenly get up and walk out, that means I have to go puke. Just as I said that, my face became really warm and my ears became tingly. The same feeling I get when I normally am drunk and have to puke. So I got up and tried to calmly walk to the bathroom, which wasn't too far away. 
I just got up out of my seat and opened the classroom door and walked to the bathroom. I was noticing that my vision was tingling and I was having a hard time walking in a straight line, but I made it anyway. As soon as I walked through the bathroom doors, I stuttered to the last stall, which was for the handicapped kids, and laid down on the floor. My stomach hurt so bad that I just wanted to puke, but I was always afraid of puking so I just laid on my side and moaned quietly so other people wouldn't hear me. I rolled around a bit, but nothing seemed to make me feel better. I turned to lie on my back and elevated my legs by resting them on the toilet seat. Soon I saw my friend's shoes come walking through the bathroom door and my friend came in to see how I was doing and I told her just to leave me be and I would be fine in a little while. She demanded that I get up and go back to class, but I told her I was too sick and nauseous, so I just needed to lie down. She pulled me onto my feet and started walking me toward the mirror and out the bathroom, but as soon as she let me go, I stumbled back to the spot from where she found me. I just told her to go and get my backpack because I was going to the office and call home for someone to come get me. But the sad fact was that I could barely walk by myself, let alone walk 50-some feet to the office and look halfway normal to ask to use a phone to call home. So I just laid on the floor and waited for this horrible stupid mistake of mine to pass and things to become normal again. Then it started getting scary. I suddenly felt my heart slow way down, like it didn't even beat for a while and then I was having a hard time breathing but that wasn't even the worst of it. I tried to sit up a bit and it felt like I was riding a roller coaster going up and down so I just laid back down on the floor. Suddenly, I felt like I was burning up. I was so hot that the cold bathroom floor was feeling really nice. I went to feel my forehead and there was sweat dripping off of it. So I lifted up my sweatshirt and noticed sweat dripping off my stomach and chest as well. The hot spell lasted for about a minute or two until I suddenly became extremely cold. I was freezing and I had nothing to warm up with. I felt like I was put in a freezer and left to die. I was praying for death to come at this point because what was I going to do now? I couldn't not take the pills because they were already passing through my body like liquid ice. Then my heart rate began to pound out of control. It was like I was getting ready to take off and fly the hell out of my body. I was so miserable that I just prayed that the school principal would come find me and help me. I just wanted someone to help me because I had enough. During my time lying on the floor, kids would come in and go to the bathroom and soon they started noticing someone was lying on the floor in the very last stall. At that time, I couldn't really talk because I felt so nauseous that I just wanted to sleep it off, but I couldn't sleep. I was so scared. Finally, some kids had reported a girl lying on the floor in the bathroom and help finally came. The principal looked under the stalls and noticed me, but I was actually starting to feel better. So I just said I felt sick and wanted to lay down a little while longer, but she just said, can you open the door? Which I did. She then said, get up and follow me. She was so strict sounding that I had no choice but to do what she said. To my amazement, I was not all there. I would barely stand up and had a hard time following her to the school's sick room. While I was following her, I was noticing my eyelids were twitching and flickering and I could barely see. I felt sedated and very sleepy. I got into the room and laid down on the bed I was shown and was covered with a bright orange blanket that was oh so warm to my body. They started questioning me, are you on anything? What did you take? How much did you take? Who or where did you get it from? Of course at first I couldn't answer them because I was delirious to what was happening. It was like a very long and very real dream that I honestly just wanted to end. The good part was that I didn't feel so nauseous anymore but I felt like I was going to shit my pants. 
So I asked if I can use the bathroom and it felt like I was crapping and pissing my guts out. Like my body was getting prepared for death and everything was coming out of me. I walked back to the bed and they checked my heart rate, which was beating at 125 plus beats per minute and my blood pressure was quite high as well. The school nurse told me I would have been better off just puking and getting the crap out of my body, but there was no sense in me doing that anymore. The drugs had already been in me for two hours, so I just had to stake it out and be cool because I had made a horrible mistake. The principal finally said, I'm not fooling around with this anymore, so she called in an ambulance. She couldn't get a hold of my parents at first because my mom had no way to reach a phone, so they had to call my dad from work, and he was rushing 60 minutes to the hospital where I was being sent to. I kept saying I'm so stupid over and over again so everybody could hear me. Really, how stupid was I? The vice principal came in to check my eyes out and I had a hell of a time trying to focus on the tiny light that he was shining into my eyes. He told me to follow the light and it was so cool. The light was moving in slow motion and it was like I was in a trance. Everything was in slow motion. It was such a bright pretty light and I wanted to have one of my own to play with. I was finally out of my bad trip and going into a good one. They measured my pupil size on a little chart and said it was extremely large. It was like a number three or four, whatever that meant. I could barely understand what everybody was saying, but I eventually got the picture that I was going to be carted away by the paramedics. You know, that's all I really wanted was to get brought to the hospital. There was nothing I could do about it now. So the paramedics soon arrived and they took my temperature, blood pressure, and pulse and hooked me up to a heart monitor. I was put onto a stretcher and carted out of the school. As I was rolled past the school's office, I noticed my fourth hour teacher looking at me in the stretcher. He looked so worried and disappointed at me. I felt horrible that I had done this to myself. As I was put into the ambulance, they strapped me in and started driving away. Some nice lady talked to me the whole way to the hospital, which was about 15 minutes from where we were. We talked about her pet rabbit and other things that meant nothing at all. We soon arrived and I was lifted out of the ambulance and rolled into the ER. Since I was conscious, they didn't rush me into my room, but they casually rolled me into my new destination. It was a small area with light blue curtains and I would be there for the next four hours. And to tell you, it wasn't fun at all. They poked me with a needle and drew a lot of blood out of my poor little arm. I was normally afraid of needles, but this time I could look at it in my arm and say, cool. Then another nurse came in to question me on my motives of taking the pills and what I took and how many I had taken to see if I could remember, which of course I knew the answer to every one of their questions. I was questioned by so many people that I eventually just wanted to be left alone. The doctor came in to talk to me and told me that my parents had arrived, and then he talked to all three of us just to catch them up on what had happened and how I was going to be perfectly fine in the end. Then everyone left and I was alone, so I demanded that there be someone I could talk to so I wouldn't have to be alone with nothing to do, because I swear I was going to go insane if I was left alone anymore. So they sent in a counselor to talk to me and he tried to find out why I had done the pills and how my life is at home. All those stupid questions. He kept asking if I felt safe at home and I was just getting pissed off more and more with all the stupid questions, but I couldn't really go anywhere or do anything because I was hooked up to all these monitors so I cooperated and eventually got out of there. When I walked out, I still felt high and my mom just had to ask, well, how does it feel to be high? If she only knew. I remember my horoscope saying earlier that day, don't do spur of the moment. Maybe next time I will listen to my instincts. The sad part is I have been wondering if I will try them again and would I be able to stop myself next time?